morning, you think of all the bad things that could happen. But the Lord wants us to focus not on that. He wants us to focus on him. He wants us to focus on his word. He wants us to focus on his people. And when we do that, we will be blessed. We will be encouraged. We won't be discouraged. I love that message Adel gave last week because we didn't have meetings. And when you don't have meetings, you read the word on your own, you pray on your own. But it's not the same as collectively getting together either. We need both, but we need to be together. And we need to be in the presence of the Lord. And so when he got up and gave that awesome message, it was so inspiring. And we just pray that his word will inspire us every day, that we'll draw near to him and rely upon his strength, his help, to get through these troubled times. And so the title of our message today is Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. It's so needed. The word abide is defined as to stand fast, to remain, to go on being, to reside in Jesus. I love the analogy that's given in the scriptures about the vine and the branches. That's what the Lord Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And that's the analogy of our relationship that we have with the Lord that is that close and that precious that as the vine carries the nourishment to the branches and allows them to be fruitful, so too our Lord works through us, his vessels, to be a blessing to other people. And as we abide in him and he abides with us, we can experience spiritual growth, spiritual victory, and we can bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And that's what it really is all about. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 15 and verse 1. The gospel according to John chapter 15, and we'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read the first 10 verses. John chapter 15 and verse 1. You'll notice something about this passage and all the pages next to it are in red. If you have a red letter Bible, that means these are the words of Jesus. And I really like that. I have one myself and I think it's a good thing because everywhere where it's spoken by Jesus, it's in red and it's a blessing. John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we're going to look at three things. Number one, abide in Christ. Number two, abide in his word. And number three, 
abide in his love. If we do these three things, as simple as they are, but as how powerful they are, if we abide in him and in his word and in his love, we'll affect the world. The early Christians, it says, they turned the world upside down. Why were they able to do it? Because they abided in Jesus. They went forth in his power, in their, in, not in their power, in his strength, not in their strength, in his love, not in their love, and changed the world. And we can have that same kind of impact. It's amazing. If you read these 10 verses, you'll find that the word abide or abides is used 10 times. 10 times in 10 verses. If you think that's amazing, think about the Apostle John. He uses this word abide or abiding or abides some 51 times in his books that he wrote in the New Testament. 51 times. That's how affected he was. And don't forget, John was the one, whom G the disciple whom Jesus loved. He used to recline on his bosom. He used to listen to the palpitations of his heart. He loved the Lord. He abided in the Lord and gives us an example of that. And John is so great when he writes his gospel because he's the one who talks about the great I am statement. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of the life. And then here he says, I am the true vine. I am the vine. And because Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, we can draw upon his help and his strength to face anything. There's nothing that a Christian cannot face with Jesus. Nothing. We can face it. What's the worst thing that could happen to us is we could die. We could die. But what's going to happen is he is going to transport us right into his presence. So even death itself cannot stop us from being with our Lord. And that is a blessing. So let's look, first of all, at abiding in Christ. You know, those people who heard Jesus speaking could relate to this because they grew grapes, they made wine, and it was very familiar to them. Jesus was such an awesome and great teacher because he could take the things that people could relate to and then he could apply it into their life. He could take the physical and then use it to speak to their hearts spiritually. And that's what he does here. He's using a physical lesson to teach a spiritual lesson. And he's talking about vines and he's talking about branches. You know, Jesus is the true vine. All other vines are false vines. All other vines don't give any nourishment. People are looking for answers today. They're looking for help today, but they're looking for it in the wrong places. They're looking for it for, with doctors, with lawyers. They're looking for it with psychiatrists. They're looking for it everywhere in the wrong place. The right place is in Jesus Christ because he is the true vine. And it says, my father is the vine dresser. He's the husbandman, as it says in the King James Version. He's the one who sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice on the cross. And so he could establish with us a personal relationship. That's the thing that amazes me more than anything else, is that Jesus loves me so much, he wants to have a personal relationship with me. He loves you so much, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be the vine to us so that we can be the branches. He says, abide in me and I in you. And the two are like one. We become one with Christ. When we come to Christ as an unsaved person and accept him as our personal savior, he changes our life 
and he brings us into a dynamic personal relationship with him. And that is such a blessing. And his goal for us, as mentioned in this passage, is that we bear much fruit. Notice in verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you know very much about fruit trees, you know they need pruning. And Mike has some very nice grapes growing in his backyard. And when we have our Friday group, sometimes outside, we go out and we look at the, at the vines. And Mike said that to make his grapes really fruitful and to really grow a proper way, he has to prune them, right? He has to prune them. He has to cut them back. You have to cut the branches. You have to cut them back. It may be a little painful for the tree or the vine at a little bit at a time, but in the long run, it produces more fruit. And when the Lord Jesus prunes me, when he prunes you, it is painful. But it has that eternal value of making us more like him and making us bear more fruit. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If we have our choice as human beings in our own flesh, we'd say, I don't want that pruning. I don't want that pain. I don't want to go through those trials. I don't want to go through those afflictions in my flesh. But we need them. And in our spirit, we know that we have to have them if we're going to grow and if we're going to develop fully. Otherwise, we'll be like spiritual dwarfs. We will not have any spiritual growth unless he prunes us to make us bear more fruit. It's not enough just to be branches. He wants us to be fruitful branches. In the Old Testament, Joseph was called a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough for the kingdom. And that is a blessing for us too. And the Lord Jesus says in verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. If you could boil everything down to a simple equation, that is the key to the Christian life, abiding in Christ. Staying close to him, abiding in him, that is the key to it. That's the goal that he wants from us, a close personal walk. But we say, but Lord, I'm so busy today. I've got this to do at work, and I've got this to do at home, and I've got this to do at school, and we get so busy, and we lose sight of the Lord Jesus. We lose sight of what he wants to teach us and train us in, because we're so hurrying about all these things. We put on the news, we hear this, we get distracted. We get telephone calls, we get distracted. He wants us to just sit at his feet like Mary did, listen to his word, abide in him, and be fruitful for his glory. He says, abide in me and I in you. You know, the branch derives all its nourishment from the vine. It doesn't get it from anywhere else. It gets it from the vine. So as Christians, where are we going to get our nourishment? Where are we going to get our strength? It should only be for the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else and nothing else is going to help us grow spiritually but the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given us godly counsel, godly counselors, and godly teachers to help us grow. But it's all part of us abiding in him and becoming what he wants us to be. He says a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And so he says, so too, he says, you cannot unless you abide in me. I love verse 5. It's my favorite verse, one of my favorites in the whole Bible. 
it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now notice he doesn't say, without me you can do little, or you can't do much. He says you can't do anything. Without me you can do nothing. When we try in the Christian life, and we've all done it, we've all made that mistake, I have done it, I am guilty, trying to do things in our own strength, it's like a branch being separated from the vine. You can't grow, and we can't grow, and we can't be successful, and we can't serve the Lord the proper way unless we are abiding in Christ and getting strength from him on a daily basis. Because we will get so weak and spiritually anemic if we don't abide in Christ and abide in his word and abide in his love on a daily basis. And when we do that, we become strong in him. And that is what he wants us to do. One of the most wonderful things in all of Scripture is the fact that the Lord Jesus wants to spend time with each of us on a daily basis. You say, Lord, but you've got hundreds and thousands and millions of believers throughout the world. But he's God. He can do it. He can spend time with Alex and spend time with Mike and spend time with Dave and with Caitlin and with all of us all at the same time. And we're blessed one-on-one. -on -one. Isn't that amazing? He spent time with the multitudes when he was here on earth, but he also spent time with the 12 when he was here on earth, and he also spent time with Peter, James, and John. So he had those groups. He had that intimacy with all those who loved him. And we love him, and we thank the Lord for him. I like the song, the hymn writer, that says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me along the way of life. He says, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And you know, every believer can say that, I'm walking with Jesus. He is my Savior, and I am close with him. Yes, it's a beautiful and fantastic portion. And it teaches us in his word and throughout the New Testament that our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but it's in him. And that gives you a great relief to think it isn't up to me, it's not up to you, it's up to him working through us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have responsibility. We do. We have to work hard at it to let the Lord abide in us. It takes a great deal of surrender and sacrifice. That's what he wants us to do. But without him, we can do nothing. That's very humbling for us to think about that we're nothing. I remember years ago, we used to kind of joke about it. We used to say, you know, we're nothing. And Bill Murray used to say, we're dirt. We're dirtier than dirt. We're nothing. We're empty, nothing people without the Lord. But with the Lord, we're everything. We're everything. And that's why if you try to add to your life anything this world offers you, it's nothing. Money, success, power, fame, any of these things, add them up, put them on the scale, and nothing plus nothing in my mathematics class is still nothing. Nothing plus nothing equals nothing. And that's outside of Christ. But inside of Christ, nothing plus Jesus Christ is everything. Notice we don't add anything to the equation. We're still nothing. But when you put Jesus in front of it, it's everything. It's like you can put one in front of a whole string of zeros and it becomes a huge number. But take off the one, what do you got? Hundreds of zeros maybe, but still zero. But with Jesus, we're everything. And that's the joy 
of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and abiding in him because he is so good to us. I read a story about a pastor who lived many years ago back in the 1800s in Devonshire, England. He pastored a church for 24 years. He had a lot of health issues, and many people were wondering how he was ever going to make it. But he used to work like an ox, they said, working and serving the people of God. Well, finally his health gave out. And his doctor recommended that he and his family move to the southern part of France to get a more delicate climate, a nice climate for him to live out the rest of his years because he was not going to make it this way. So on the last day, he decided to give one more sermon to his people. And he preached the word to the people that he said this to them. He says, Oh, brethren, I stand here before you today as alive from the dead. If I may hope to impress upon you and get you to prepare for the solemn hour which must come to all, I plead with you to become acquainted with the changeless Christ and his death. And after finishing his sermon, he dispensed the bread and wine to the people, and then he went to his home. And he started meditating on the scriptures, and it was this very passage here in John chapter 15. Abide in me, and I in you. And according to his gardener, this man, his name was Light, Henry Francis Light, he wrote a poem as he walked along the beach there in England before he was going to take the ship that was going to take him to France. And he took out a little paper and started writing some words on it, starting writing a poem on it. And then later on, we're going to see what happened with that poem. He went home and he polished it up, rewrote it, and gave it to his adopted daughter, got on a, a ship and ended up in France, in Nice, France, and there had a seizure and passed away. But as he died, he said joy, he said peace, because the Lord was abiding in him and he was abiding in the Lord. And the, this hymn has become one of the most famous in all of Christianity, Abide With Me. And some of the words of that song says, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide, when other helpers fail, and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Don't we feel like him sometimes, this man who is, his health was gone, he had finished his ministry, the Lord took him home, but he said, abide with me. He is the helper of the helpless. He does not help those who think they need no help. He helps those who need help. And when we come to him and say, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do it without you, Lord, he will help us. That's what Moses said. He says, Lord, I can't bear this burden of all the people of Israel by myself. I can't carry this burden, Lord. And the Lord provided him the strength and the ability to carry on. Corey Tinboom, the famous lady who was in the concentration camp, she survived it. She said this, I liked it very much. Like railroad tickets in America, I am not good if a detached. You know how you say, if this ticket is detached, it's no longer good. Well, we as Christians are not good when we're detached from Christ. We're only good when we're attached to Christ, closely attached to the Savior. And that's what he wants us to be, closely abiding with him. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. You know, a number of years ago, and I haven't seen too many around recently, they came up with that expression, WWJD. And it stands for, what would Jesus do? And I like that, too, because before we do anything or say anything, we should ponder, what would Jesus do? 
what would Jesus say? How would he act in this situation? And it would save us from getting ourselves into a lot of trouble if we would abide in the Lord and say, Lord, let me walk as you walk. Let me do what you do. Let me say what you say. He wants us to follow his example every day, to abide in him. And then not only is it important to abide in him, but it's important to abide in the word of God also. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing you with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You know, if we want to have something to give to somebody, we have to get it from the Lord first. Because how are you going to share with others unless Christ has taught you? That's the thing. He gives us the nourishment. He gives us the help. He gives us the teaching so that we can keep it for ourselves? No. So that we can share it with others. He allows the pruning. He allows the trial so that we can be fruitful and bear fruit and help others. That is what he wants us to do. And the word of God is an integral part of every Christian's life. That's why we read the word. That's why we have the scriptures. And what a joy. When you think of some of the Christians in the world today, in China, in some of these countries, they don't allow the Bible. They have pages of the word, not whole books even, pages of the word. And maybe someone will have a page and they say, I'll give you John 15 if you can give me John 3. And they would exchange. How thankful we are. We can go to the corner store and buy a copy of the Bible. And we can read it. We can have the freedom to, to meet like we do. And we're so blessed that we can abide in Christ and have him in our life. But you know, there's one thing I really miss this, really miss is Ron's scripture memory class. When we get back to that, it's going to be great. We're still on. Don't forget, we can still keep reviewing it, 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9, because that's the last verse. And we have all the verses on the sheet. And not only that, but you can go on the website and review all the verses we have learned so we can use the time. But I love the scripture memory class because there's something about memorizing the Word of God. Maybe you don't have your Bible with you, but you've got it here and you've got it here so that you can share it with somebody else. Because unless we have His Word written in our hearts, we can't be a blessing. So we want to have it. Now, it is good to always carry our Bible with me. I like my Bible because it's small and I fit it in my briefcase. I take it to work. We can do that. We can carry these little pocket Bibles. We can have it in our Palm Pilots and so forth. But praise God, if we don't have that opportunity, if it's written in our hearts, we can, it'll come out. It'll flow. As he teaches us, we can share that word with others. And as his word abides in us. But the key to it is not just to have it in our minds, but to have it in our hearts. It's easy to sit down and read the word, close it up, says, I read it today. That's not enough. We have to meditate on the word. We have to memorize the word. We have to study the word because then it really becomes part of us. You know the difference. You can read something or you can sit down and just really focus on it, meditate on it. What's the difference? You've applied it to your life and it's become part of you. And that word will always be there. And that's a blessing to us. So it's not just reading his word. It's letting it abide in us. It's letting it dwell richly within us. And as we do that, we can get so blessed and so encouraged because the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and convict us, encourage us, and comfort us. And we all need that at various times. And like I said last week, that message Adel gave 
from the prophecy of the Old Testament with Elisha was like a burst of encouragement, like a burst of, of uh, joy that we had. And it's such a blessing to abide in the Word of God. Now, I read a story, and remember Paul Harvey, how I used to say the rest of the story? This is like that. It's not Paul Harvey's story, but it's like that. Some of this you're going to re recognize the story, but the rest of it maybe you've never heard before. It says, one of the most dramatic examples of the Bible's influence on men and women's lives and how it can change to someone was from the story of Mutiny on the Bounty. How many remember the movie or the book, Mutiny on the Bounty? Some of the younger ones maybe never have heard of it, but it's a really interesting story about Captain Bly. He was not a good person. Hard to get along with, but he was in charge. He was the authority. Well, these men on the ship didn't want to obey his authority, right? So they rebelled against him. That's where you get the term mutiny. And it was mutiny on the bounty. The ship was called the bounty. And they, they rebelled against it. Well, these men ended up on an island, a little tiny island in the South Pacific called Pitcairn Island. A tiny little place, one mile uh, two miles long and one mile wide. Now that's pretty tiny. That's, that's like Danville, less than Danville. Very small. And there were, at this time, there were nine mutineers on that island, along with Tahitian men and women who accompanied them. And they ended up on this island. Now, ten years later, after that, drink and fighting left only one man alive. His name was John Adams. All the others died. All the other men died. And he was left along with 11 women and 23 children on this little tiny island. Now, that's how much we know from the story, usually, right? That's how much we know. Now we're going to talk about the rest of the story. Adams came across a copy of the Bible found in an old chest from the bounty, from the ship that they had brought with them. He opened that Bible and started reading. Now, remember, there's no pastor to help him. There's no people there. There's no other Christians. Just the Bible now is what he's reading. So he started reading the Word. He started reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, he gets changed. He gets transformed. He gets saved by reading the Scriptures. Now, we know from the Scriptures what it says. It says, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So even if somebody does not have an opportunity to explain the gospel to somebody, if somebody reads it on their own, they can get saved because the Holy Spirit can use that word. That word itself is powerful, and the Holy Spirit uses it. Well, this man was changed, and guess what he started doing? He started teaching all the children. He began a Sunday school class with 23 children, and it says before long, everyone on that island was saved. Everyone like him. And now, even more of the rest of the story, that island still exists in the South Pacific, and it has about 100 inhabitants on it, and almost every one of them, it says, is a Christian. Nearly every one of them is a Christian. Why? Because one man opened a chest, found the Bible, read it, got saved, passed it out to the others, and the whole island was saved. What kind of effect? can the word of God have on us if it has an effect like this on this man who is a drunkard, he was a murderer, he was rebellious, he was on this island. The last man there, he got saved. And praise be to God that the Bible has that kind of power to change lives. 
It's not like any other book. I mean, any other book, you can pick it up, you can read it, you can say, yeah, that's a pretty good book, a bestseller, and so forth. This book is the all-time bestseller. And when we read this book, its word is life. It's a living book. It has power to change our lives, and we should do it and read it every day. I like what it says in verse 7 in the Amplified Bible. It says, if you live in me, abide vitally united in me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Yes, we've seen this morning so far, abide in Christ and abide in his word. And now the third thing is, abide in his love. God's love is incredible. And just like the Bible has power, God's love has power. God's love can melt the hardest hearts. He does it all the time. How else can you explain how a person can one day be so bad, a murderer, an adulterer, whatever it happens to be, a drug addict, and the next day is a new person? That is the power of God's love. That is the power that he has to change lives. There's nothing else like it. People go to these 10-step these courses or 12-step courses, and they go through all of these things, and they get help a little bit from it, but you can't truly transform a person, a sinner, to a saved person, but through the grace of God, through the mercy of God, through his love, to realize that God loves me, and he loves you just the way we are. He loves us. But he wants to save us. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to transform our life like he transformed this man on the island, John Adams. He wants to change your life, and he wants to change mine. And then once we get saved, he wants to continue to change us and, and mold us into the Christians he wants us to be. God's love goes far beyond emotion, far beyond affection, far beyond sentiment. It goes to, his, to our will. He chose to love us when there was nothing in us to love. There still really is nothing good in us that would God would love us. But he loves us because of his incredible love. And that's why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. God's love is so powerful that he can love his enemies. When Jesus came, he said, love your enemies. Do good to them who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And Jesus didn't just preach that. He loved his enemies. He loved them, and he died for them. And we were his enemies, and he loved us, and he died for us. I had found another story of a Baptist minister who was named Peter Miller, and he lived during the days of the American Revolution. And he lived in, in Ephrathah, Pennsylvania, and he enjoyed a friendship with George Washington. Now, how would you like to be the friend of George Washington, the great commander and general of the army, and who later became our first president. Well, they were, they were close, they were friends. Well, in Ephrathah, there was a man who was a very evil-minded kind of man, and his man was, name was Michael Whitman. And every chance he got, he opposed the pastor. Every chance he got, he got a chance to humiliate the pastor, put him down. And he was a thorn in his flesh the whole time. Well, one day, Peter, one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to murder. He was arrested, sentenced to murder. And treason is the kind of thing that gets death. I mean, right away, they would kill him for treason. So he's, he's been condemned. Well, Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this traitor. 
And when he spoke to General Washington and asked him to pardon this man, he says, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, he exclaimed, he's the bitterest enemy I've ever had. George Washington said, what? You walked over 70 miles to save the life of your enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. And Peter Miller took that man, Michael Whitman, back home to Ephrata, no longer as an enemy, but as a friend. Can you imagine how that must have touched that man's heart? He's condemned, he's treason, he's guilty, he's going to be killed. And this pastor, who he remembers every snide thing he said to him, everything he tried to do to humiliate him and put him down and give him a hard time. And he came down on foot, walking 70 miles to plead for his life. I'm sure it just broke him totally. And I would really like to believe, and we'll find out when we get to heaven, this man probably got saved and probably enjoyed the sweetest friendship with this pastor the rest of his life. Jesus did something even better than that. He didn't just walk 70 miles. He came all the way down to heaven to die for his enemies. All the way down here to die for you and me. We didn't deserve it. Just like this man, he's guilty of treason. He's about to be killed, and his enemy comes to plead for him. Jesus pleaded with the Father, Father, let me go and save Sean. Let me go down and save Sandy. Let me go down and deliver Barbara from her sins. He loved his enemies. What an amazing love. What a fantastic love. And when we abide in his love, that love transforms us so that we can love those who hate us. We can love those who put us down. We all have people at work that give us a hard time, especially when they know we're a Christian. Oh, you're the preacher man, or you're this or that, or you're this. You go to church all the time, and they laugh. But guess what? As soon as they have a major trauma in their life, who do they go to? You! the one that they laughed at, the one that they joked about, they go to you because you are abiding in Christ and they know that you'll pray for them. This lady the other day said that she had this dream and she was in a really bad situation, a bad car accident or something, and she said, I had this dream that Dean was praying for me. I said, that's good. They know, they know we're Christians. They know that we love the Lord Jesus. And so may the Lord encourage us today, as we've thought about this subject, to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to go to church. Not enough. Not enough to just be called Christian. We have to abide close with the Lord. The scripture says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that's what we have to do. We have to make the first move. We say, Lord, I want to abide in you. And then he wants to abide with us in our life. He gives us strength. He gives us nourishment. He gives us help with a personal walk with him. And then we abide in his word, allow his word to transform our lives so that we can then use that word to help others. And then finally, if we abide in his love, the kind of love that reaches out to people is a love even for enemies. That kind of love will affect people. It really, really will. So remember, three things, abide in Christ, abide in his word, and abide in his love. That's the key to spiritual victory. That's the key to spiritual growth. That's the key to success and prosperity in the Christian life. We can't have his peace and his joy and all his blessings unless we abide in him and allow him to have first place 
in our lives. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this congregation this morning. We thank you that we have gathered this morning to break bread. We thank you that we have gathered to hear your word. Lord, nothing of what I say makes anything, is, makes any impact, but it's your word, Lord. Your word by the Holy Spirit can change our lives. And we pray that you'll help us, Lord, to take from this message and to abide in you closely every day like a branch abides in the vine. Help us to bear fruit, Lord. Help us to be fruit-bearing Christians. Help us to abide in your word every day, to read it and meditate on it and study your word. And help us to be filled with your love, Lord, a love that is beyond human love, a divine love, an agape love. Help us to show that kind of love to the people around us. And so we commit ourselves to you today. Pray for all the activities of this afternoon, the wrapping and packing up of the Sunday school classrooms. Lord, please bless our efforts and gather us again next time in your love, Lord. We pray in your precious name. Amen.